We are back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. In the aftermath of mass shootings in Dayton, Ohio, and El Paso, Texas, debate over why these massacres keep happening and how to fix them bubbles up again. And again, President Donald Trump pointed to mental illness and video games, as he did in 2018 after the Parkland shooting. We have to do something about uh, maybe what they're seeing and how they're seeing it, and also video games. I'm hearing more and more people say the level of violence on video games is really shaping young people's thoughts. Politicians singling out video games for inspiring violence is not new. It's been happening for decades now. But a recent article in The Atlantic argues that it's becoming increasingly partisan. Ian Bogost wrote that article. He's a game designer himself, author and professor at Georgia Institute of Technology and the Ivan Allen College Distinguished Chair in Media Studies. And he joins me now in the studio. Ian, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So Donald Trump's certainly not the first to make this correlation. Violent video games have incited moral concerns since the 70s. Bring us back then. What did violence in video games look like then? It certainly looked a lot different. Uh, In 1976, there was a coin-op video game, a black-and-white driving game with little stick figure uh, characters that you could drive over. It was called Death Race, and it might have been based on a David Cassidy film from the the previous year. Uh, So it was extremely rudimentary. Uh, but an Associated Press reporter uh, saw the game at a trade show, wrote an article about it, and for the next two years, the New York Times and others covered uh, these supposedly negative effects of uh, of violence in games, uh, even based on that uh, kind of simple specimen. But back from those stick figures, how has the violence depicted in these games transformed since? Well, it's become a lot more realistic as games and uh, computer graphics of all kinds have become a lot more realistic. So if you fast forward to the early 90s, you get games like Doom and Mortal Kombat, uh, which were uh, higher fidelity and also uh, depicted uh, violence uh, more graphically. And then in the 2000s, games of all sorts become almost uh, photorealistic. And uh, in addition, uh, the players of games uh, get older. They they are interested in um, mature adult media of the same kind that you would find on television uh, or in the cinema. Those those uh, Atari and Nintendo kids of the 70s and 80s uh, became adults. They grew up. Right. Unsurprisingly, there have been many studies looking to see if there is indeed a connection between violence in media and violence in real life. So how did the research first emerge and how has it evolved? So according to the psychologists who study media effects, which is what this kind of thing is called, uh, back in uh, the mid-century, television, uh, had a, people had a similar worry about television uh, and about film, and they conducted studies and were really unsure you know, whether or not uh, violent media had any impact on, uh, on people's actions, on violent uh, action in the real world. Uh, and that persisted for a while. Uh, but then suddenly there was a change right, right around the, the 1970s, and uh, those researchers became increasingly uh, certain in their in their publications and in their commentary that yes, there was some sort of connection they felt between uh, uh, violence and media and violence in the world. It wasn't clear that the research, especially on on, on retrospect, uh, really supported that idea. But there was a big shift in the attitude, uh, and then eventually, you know, that sort of conversation that had turned from well, we're not really sure to we're absolutely certain, uh, it shifted away uh, from television and film and into game. And so games got this sort of this sort of dual force brunt uh, of this new kind of rhetoric, where on the one hand they were unfamiliar, they seemed sort of lurid and maybe undesirable, uh, and then and then secondly uh, they didn't appear to be strongly connected to this sort of uncertainty in the scientific community.
community about whether or not uh, games um, uh, had an impact, uh, media and all had an impact on, on violent action. But since then, gun violence and mass shootings have risen. Those incidences, along with this increasingly lifelike graphics of video games and movies. So, you know, we've heard this a lot, you know, well, it's inconclusive or there's fuzzy research or we're absolutely certain it does cause violence or it doesn't. What does further research show about correlation and causation? Yeah, the contemporary uh, research findings uh, strongly suggest that there's no connection, there's no correlation, there's no causation, there's just no way of tracing uh, depictions of violence in games or in any media uh, with violent action. So those concerns also did reach uh, Washington, of course, in the early 1990s. Senators Joe Lieberman and Herb Cole, both Democrats, convened hearings about violent video games and their effects. What was the result? Yeah, so this was after Doom and Mortal Kombat in particular, this this game that had like beheadings and things, and it was quite quite startling. And this was the moment when games were sort of becoming uh, a more mature media for uh, for older people, not just for uh, for kids. Uh, these uh, hearings were essentially a threat of sorts to the games industry. Hey, you better figure out a way of regulating yourselves or we're going to intervene. And the outcome of that was not a set of, of laws and legislations. That never happened. Uh, but instead, uh, the industry, the games industry, instituted a ratings board, which is the ESRB, the, kind of like the MPAA does uh, mm -hmm. film ratings. Uh, and they were going to voluntarily rate their games and publicize uh, what ages they were for and what kind of material uh, they contained. Well, it may be designed for adults, but of course, kids were playing it. And 2019 marks 20 years since two students went to their Colorado high school, Columbine, and killed 13 people, 12 students and one teacher wounding 20 others before killing themselves. Now, one of the revelations afterwards was the two shooters played the first-person game Doom. We'll get a sense of that. Still sounds kind of old world now. Doom was extremely popular in the 90s. What was the conversation surrounding it? So one of the things that was, it's hard to explain, it was so long ago, but it was so different about Doom was this sense of immersion in a first-person world. Uh, and it was gory, but it was also fantastic. These were kind of hell-spawn enemies. They weren't uh, uh, human beings. Um, and that, that sense of, of, uh, of kind of darkness uh, that was in this game was, was something that was... Uh, uh, very difficult uh, for players or even for adults who didn't play the game uh, to look at and understand. Now, in the case uh, of the Columbine shooters, they actually mostly used the game logistically. It wasn't about the violence. They were able to set up uh, a kind of design of the levels that roughly matched uh, uh, the school, which is, is grisly in its own way, uh, but was not necessarily about the violence, more about using it for, uh, for kind of planning of their, their, their physical incursion into the school. Well, popular music came into focus after Columbine 2. Marilyn Manson became the poster boy representing an anti-wholesome counterculture, and he addressed attacks against him in an op-ed for Rolling Stone, writing, America loves to find an icon to hang its guilt on. What else did he make for his case? I mean, I think the most interesting thing about um, Marilyn Manson's response was that he made a response in his own voice, and this was in Rolling Stone, an appropriate venue uh, to communicate not just to his own uh, listeners, uh, but to the world uh, more broadly. It's something that uh, the creators of games and the games industry have not done uh, effectively, have not mounted a response uh, directly to the public to justify what they're doing and why and what impact it might have. They do 
lobbying, uh, but they don't necessarily do the right kind of public communication to change people's attitudes about the media itself and why they're pursuing it in the first place. Well, that is interesting that we don't hear after video games are attacked for violence, we don't hear from the gaming industry necessarily. It irritates them and they complain about it, uh, but they don't go on you know, late night programs and talk about their work uh, when it comes out. And they certainly don't publish uh, op-eds uh, about the subject, at least not very often. Okay, so have others used that defense that culture is being used as a scapegoat for bigger issues and and a pretext of violence or a subtext of violence? Those who play and make games have always felt that they were scapegoated anytime uh, there's a violent act, that it's connected to games as a way of, of diverting interest in, in other uh, more relevant uh, topics. And yet at the same time, uh, they haven't necessarily responded either in the work or, or outside of the work uh, in a way that says, no, actually, we have something to say about the contemporary uh, environment. One of the big criticisms uh, that has been mounted against these kind of first-person uh, shooter games in recent years that doesn't have to do with violence but is connected to it is the way they, they sort of glorify militarism. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, of war-themed games, especially after after 2000. And so that's another avenue of, uh, of conversation uh, along these same lines. And certainly misogyny. Uh, yeah, when we've had or all depictions, sorts of depictions. Unrealistic right? de- depictions of uh, women. Crime, misogyny, you know, games like Grand Theft Auto have been criticized uh, like that for uh, for decades now. Well, all right. Do stereotypes and image play into this? With Manson, it might be you know the teenager who wears all black and 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 listens to heavy metal music. That image of a gamer as a loner who sits at home by themselves, himself, I would say more mm-hmm. often, and does not engage with society. Is that accurate? Uh, no, it's not accurate, but it is a part of the game playership. I, I think one of the weirdest things, the most difficult things to explain to people is that if you ask someone among the general public if they play games, if they're interested in games, often they'll say, no, absolutely not. But then if you say, well, do you play Candy Crush or something like that? Say, oh, yeah, of course, I play Candy Crush. So there is a sense that this this domain that we call video games uh, is only these violent games, these games for loner men, you know, in their basements, uh, eating uh corn chips and whatever, drinking uh, highly caffeinated beverages. Uh, And even the ones who are doing that are not necessarily playing those games alone. Uh, They're connected to one another online. They might have, uh, you know, very interesting and worthwhile kind of support networks. Of course, they may also be kind of, you know, spewing uh, misogynistic language to one another over their over their headsets. So it's not it's not a simple good or bad matter, uh, but it is a, a caricature of the way that people play games. I'm speaking with Georgia Tech professor Ian Bogost about how video games, mass shootings, and partisan politics are all wound into one. We did ask listeners on social media what they think uh, about video games. Do they cause violence? John says, no more than I thought Tipper Gore was right about heavy metal in the 80s. Noreen, however, disagrees. She said, yes, there is research showing violent video games can make people more physically aggressive, but this is true of people in all countries, not just the U.S. So I'm going to go for the the last bit first. Video games, phenomenally popular worldwide. We're talking about $130 billion global industry. Huge industry. Players all across the world. Is there a correlation between video games and mass violence or shootings in South Korea or Sweden or other places where games are played? Uh, No, there isn't. And you'll often see uh, supporters of games uh, talk about uh, what they see as the real issue, which is access to to firearms. And if you look at uh, uh, the connection between uh, the amount of money spent on games, the number of people who play games uh, globally, uh, it has nothing to do with the violent crimes that we see, the firearm-related mass shootings. Uh, Whereas if you look at access to uh, semi-automatic weapons, uh, that very much does appear to correlate. Right. So you can have an Australian teenager who is a gamer and aggressive, 
but they just don't have the same access Correct. to guns. But how about that aggression? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I look at these games. I've, they always show them on the screen, right? You know, when yeah. they're doing news reports about right. people's heads being blown off and blood and guts yeah. going everywhere. And, and that immersion, what is that doing? Yeah, well, first I want to say that the design of these studies that shows aggression is, is uh, really quite questionable. And, and many of these have been uh, retracted, or at least the whole methodology behind them has been questioned in recent years, not just around games, but in, in behavioral psychology uh, more generally. Uh, That said, uh, it would be fine for someone to be completely aesthetically or even morally opposed to these sorts of games. Uh, They are somewhat ghastly, and no no one's saying you have to play them, uh, just as you don't have to go see the new Tarantino film uh, if you don't want to. Uh, And so that idea that uh, this is a a media option, this is something that uh, that people are creating uh, and that players can choose uh, to consume, doesn't uh, mean that it's required. Uh, And it's certainly uh, perfectly acceptable and maybe even reasonable to say, I actually want nothing to do with these kind of games. So we have seen since then, you know, uh, Virginia Tech, uh, Sandy Hook, Orlando, Parkland, Las Vegas, most recently Gilroy, El Paso and Dayton shootings. When did it begin to become a partisan argument? We know that, you know, Lieberman, Cole, uh, Hillary Clinton, when she was a senator, proposing that video games be looked at in a different way. When did that shift? Yeah, Hillary Clinton had nothing good to say about games in the mid in the mid-2000s, even compared them to pornography and other sin industries. Uh, I think the shift happened after Sandy Hook and then accelerated uh, after Parkland. Uh, after Sandy Hook, we first started to see the National Rifle Association point to games directly as a, I, I think, as a diversionary tactic. Well, what about, these, what about these games? You're talking about access to guns, but we're all about responsible access to guns, and maybe the depiction of firearms in video games is the problem. Uh, and then after uh, Parkland, uh, as we heard Donald Trump uh, pick that up directly, it's really quite unusual uh, to, to hear uh, a sitting president uh, talk about uh, video games in that direct uh, way. Way. And, and you know, the, the way that he did so was persuasive to people in the sense that he said something like, you know, I'm hearing these things, which, of right. course, was true. Mm-hmm. That is what people were talking about. Uh, and that, in th- I think, emboldened uh, others. And then after El Paso in particular, uh, that was the talking point. I mean, almost hours later, uh, it was really about video games. Well, where are Democrats on this now? Did they stop being outraged by video game violence or what changed? Uh, they appear to have stopped pursuing the kind of legislation about control of, uh, of video games and video game sales and punishment for selling these games to minors and so on. That's partly because there was a 2011 Supreme Court decision uh, that that upheld uh, throwing out a California law that had tried to do so, and that's sort of the the, the, uh, First Amendment moment uh, for games. So that legislation became infeasible. Uh, But more than that, I think that the Democrats just, uh, they became uninterested uh, in games. Hillary Clinton seems to have wanted to score some sort of political uh, victory uh, by by singling them out. Uh, But today's Democrats uh, mostly are like, oh, this is ridiculous. This isn't about video games. It's about uh, lax gun laws. It's about domestic terrorism. Uh, so th- what I see them doing today, what I see Democrats doing today is using games to pivot back uh, to the issues uh, that they're more concerned with. So is then video game debate, is this just political maneuverings or, or are there real repercussions possibly for the gaming industry? Uh, well, the gaming industry is, is quite successful. And uh, I don't think that in, in some ways, any time these things get get publicized, 
uh, more games uh, get sold. Even Death Race sold more games in 1976 after people were publishing uh, articles about uh, uh, what an affront uh, it was. Uh, so the game industry is fine, at least in terms of their sales. In terms of their, their cultural role, uh, how much people accept this as a medium that's, that's viable and kind of well-rounded, uh, like film and television and, and novels and so forth are, uh, there certainly is uh, uh, something uh, significant that's lost uh, with these conversations. Ian Bogos, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. Ian Bogos, he is professor of interactive computing at Georgia Tech, an author, game designer, and a distinguished chair in media studies. His article, Video Game Violence, is now a partisan issue, was published earlier this month in The Atlantic. As we head into the break, we're going to leave you with Marilyn Manson's The Dope Show. On social media, we did ask if video games cause violence. Matthew says, of course not. Study after study has proven that's not the case. Millions of people across the planet play the same games as Americans do, yet only Americans seem to have a problem with mass shootings. Mitch writes, my kids have played video games for years. Never saw any violent results, although a little cranky sometimes after a long gaming session. Can't help you out there, Mitch. But thank you so much for commenting. And you can join the conversation on our Facebook group, GPB Radios on Second Thought. We're also on Twitter at OST Talk. You can email us on secondthought at gpb.org. Now stay with us, a debut novel that dismantles the norms of detective fiction. We're going to speak with the author of Disappearing Earth, Julia Phillips. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stick around for that and more of On Second Thought.